Yeah, there's a lot more covers of this song than I thought there would be. Huh. Is this the Shirley Bassey version? I think I saw this. people. Today on From A to Ziggy. Cat people, open parenthesis, putting out fire, close parenthesis. Welcome to From A to Ziggy. This is the podcast in which we listen to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. Today we're talking about cat people also known as Cat People Putting Out Fire, also known as Cat People Putting Out The Fire. My name is Thomas. My name is Travis. Also known as... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we are also Cat People, in uh, that we own cats. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't like to say own so much as cohabitate. Cohabitate with cats. Uh, yeah, we are talking about Cat People, the 1982 single by David Bowie and Giorgio Moroder. Uh, this was, uh, this was the theme song to a film. So for any of you guys who follow us on the Twitters, um, we watched this movie Tuesday night. Well, it's going to be like two or three weeks yeah. ago. So as of when we're recording this, we watched We just it watched this Previous movie. Tuesday night. We just watched We it. just recently watched this movie. So you didn't have to. Um, and we live tweeted as much as, it is, as we could, but a lot of the time was just trying to put brains around what was going on. Um, it's a super weird early 1980s erotic thriller. If you've ever thought while watching an erotic thriller, I love this erotic thriller. I wish it had more people turning into leopards and incest. Then boy, howdy, is this movie for you? Yeah. Stars, uh, Natasha Kinski and Malcolm McDowell. Uh, significant, of course, Malcolm McDowell played, uh, God, what was the main character? Alex. DeLarge in um, A Clockwork Orange, which was a big, uh, a big influence on Bowie's sensibilities. As cat people, brother and sister, who are cursed to turn into cats at, uh, at a certain moment, this being an erotic thriller, you can guess what moment that is. And uh, they, they stay cats until they kill. It's not totally clear what they have to kill. I mean, yeah. if, if I were a cat person in the form of a cat, and I needed to kill something, I would try, you know, killing a squirrel or a rabbit or something. In fact, I think that that does work, doesn't it? Because in the movie, she chases after that rabbit, yeah. and then she turns back into a person. So why don't, I, I don't understand why they need to be killing people. I don't know. Except that they might get trapped in, the, uh, in an apartment, or in a, uh, Just the cat in a massage over. parlor, yeah. or in a, uh, a zoo, a jail cell, yeah. a.k.a. zoo. Yeah. And what's striking about the zoo is, like, this is a zoo, like, a zoo would have been a zoo in, like, the early 1900s. Like, this is the kind of zoo that they had long since outlawed, because it was literally just animals in tiny cages. Yeah. And then these animals getting angry because they're in tiny cages, and maybe flipping out and ripping Ed Bagley Jr.'s arm off. And it just reminded me of that old Chris Rock. It happens every time. Every time. And all I could think of was that old Chris Rock bit when he's talking about, um... When the tiger attacked, I can't remember which one it was, one of the guys from Siegfried and Roy. And everyone was like, Siegfried? It might have been Siegfried. Or Roy. I can't remember. We'll say Siegfried and hope that we don't get sued for Bible or whatever. Ziggy for short. So we'll say Ziggy was um, attacked by the tiger during one of their acts. And everyone was like, the tiger went crazy. And Chris Rock's like, that tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger went tiger. Like, that's just <laughs> what tigers do. So there's a few times where I was like, that leopard's totally going leopard. Uh, that person's going cat. But yeah, it was a super, super strange movie. One of the write-ups on the movie 
It's basically that, like, one of the reasons it was cast the way it was was, like, this person just really wanted some naked Natasha Kinski. Yeah, basically an excuse to to put Natasha Kinski on screen naked. Yeah. A lot. A lot. A whole lot. Yeah, the thing about this this movie is it's an erotic thriller, but it's also one of these supernatural horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, I guess erotic thriller is kind of a misnomer. Yeah, I guess maybe it's not an erotic thriller. It's, it's a horror movie. Yeah, it's an erotic horror movie. But all of the... Uh, now, this might just be me, but I feel like the gore and the uh, puerile kind of horror movie elements of it kind of take some of the thrill out of the erotic thriller part of it. Like it just drains some of the eroticism out of it. It's like not, there's a lot of nudity in it, but it becomes less sexy once you know that she's once, well, for instance, the, the scene where her, uh, her face explodes and becomes a yeah. cat face. Yeah. I'm no longer. Her face basically does like a Kool-Aid man, her cat face through the real face. I'm no longer interested in, in her female human body. Yeah. And so it's when I was sort reading... of like, it's strewn around, around the room, just in pieces. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, because my girlfriend came to watch the movie with us. I was like, this might be awkward watching this, like, kind of borderline porn movie with my girlfriend. But then, not very far into it, you're like, this is, doesn't, this is not remotely, this doesn't turn me on even the least. So, it's kind this of... This is averted. Yeah, this movie is sort of, this movie is softcore porn in the same way that Caligula is a historical epic. <laughs> it's, so it's a remake. It's a remake. It is a remake. Because that was a thing that was even happening in 1982. We decry the rise of the remake and the reboot, but it's it's always been a thing. Yeah, there. I think this was part of Universal's push to uh, redo a whole bunch of their Universal horror movies. So, wasn't there a uh, there wasn't a Frankenstein, but was there, there? There was a Wolfman. Oh well, American Werewolf in Paris. Yeah, was sort of bringing back the Wolfman thing. Um, what else? Was Swamp Thing. One of those was it? I think Universal? Swamp Thing was mid eighties. Was it Universal? Um, Monster Squad Monster brings Squad. back all of the Universal monsters. Oh man! So I actually I had never heard of Monster Squad until it was like last summer, maybe over the winter, when we were just lazing around the apartment looking for something to watch and stumbled on the movie, and it was literally all the monsters. Yeah, and we were trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And if you ever want to see Frankenstein throwing out mid '80s slang. Where is that? I'm going to have to wa- re- rewatch that. Oh, it's been a long time since yeah. I saw it. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What about... What about the, it's kind of a misfire. It's, it yeah. It doesn't really... But it's interesting. I felt it was interesting. I liked it. It was interesting. It's, it's, it's not so bad it's good. It's still one of those bad movies that's it's still, that's still bad. bad yeah. But it's one of those bad movies that gains a cult following of... It's got a niche. It's got a certain niche. Yeah. Like, it's, if I was having people over and I didn't know what to do, and I was like, oh, you guys want to see this super weird movie? I, I would put it on. Yeah. It's perfect for that kind of gathering. Yeah. And it also kind of... Did you ever, when you were younger, watch... Um, like, yeah, if you had a rare, like, staying up way past your bedtime when you were in, like, middle school or when they would have USA Network, USA Up All Night, and they would yeah. play weird movies like that where yeah. it's, like, kind of softcore porn kind of stuff. This felt like the kind of movie that would fit right into there. Definitely. Yeah. Like, every so often I expected it to kind of, like, go to a commercial break and have Gilbert Godfrey yelling about how weird this movie is. 
Um, Pauline Kael, the critic, said that uh, the Alien Minute guys were, were talking about this recently. Uh, they said Pauline Kael said that this movie, this film, what would they say? Pauline Kael, she said, every frame looks like an album cover for a record you never want to play. <laughs> and it's true. There's, yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of great sort of weird visuals. Yeah, the parts where they're like in that desert definitely feel like they should be the cover of some super strange album that you would find like in the $2 bin. Yeah, it, it almost looks like that Midnight Oil um, record cover, which, I, which again, I never want to play. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna offend our like. We have an Australian listener. I know that for sure. Do we really? Yeah. And That's fantastic. Yeah. So, and you know what? I'm not gonna insult this person by using any little silly uh, American Australian colloquialisms. Yeah. Right. So if you are a fan of Midnight Oil, I apologize. Yeah. Um, I do like. They, there's a lot of great music out of Australia. I do like Big Pig though. I really. I've never really listened to them. They are great. I have a pretty thorough obsession currently with Courtney Barnett. She's amazing. I haven't heard her. She's super weird, super good. Like, nice. but musically, it's very like straightforward alternative rock. But lyrically, it's like a lot of stream of consciousness. Cool. Yeah. Sounds right up my alley. I'm yeah. gonna have to put that in my queue along with Bruce Springsteen, Meatloaf, Brian Eno, and Roxy Music. What else? So yeah. So uh, and somehow this like weird little strange project from. The early 80s got David Bowie to provide theme music for it. Yeah, right. And it's, uh, I'm not sure the story behind that. I think it was, I think Paul Schrader asked him to come in. And he, he already had Giorgio Moroder working on the soundtrack. And so Moroder had also done the soundtrack to American Gigolo just before this, Paul Schrader's previous movie. So, and of course, that's the one with Blondie's Heart of Glass uh, all through it. So Moroder's sort of template for making the soundtrack to this song was to have a hit single and then do variations of that of the music throughout the movie and so he does kind of the same thing here he comes up with this uh this theme the the cat people theme he called it and then had uh david bowie come up with some some lyrics for it and what to to the credit of this song now we'll finally start talking about the song i have to say i'm glad that the lyric, the words cat people do not appear at all. Yeah, I appreciate that because it would have been really heavy handed and seemed forced and really would have made the song impossible to get into. Yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be the song that it is today. Yeah. If it had, if it mentioned cat people at yeah. all. But then I was also confused. So I had no familiarity with the movie at all. My first exposure with this song was on Let's Dance. So I guess actually first, I guess I should point out, I believe this is our first Let's Dance song, right? Uh, is it? I feel like it might be. I think you're right. Um, you became familiar with it as? As just a weird titled track on Let's Dance. Okay. So seeing that title, my, my head went in, in two different places. So first, I had just recently finished watching a season of BoJack Horseman. So I... I had anthropomorphic animals on the brain, so all I could picture was these, like, cat people who happen to be firemen. Like, literal cat people. Literal people cat, cat people. Or people with cat heads. Or, like, standing cat. Cats standing Standing back, cats like, wearing in... fire uniforms with the helmets. Right. Little hose in their paws. Right. Putting out fires. Right. And then I was also thinking about, because... So we live... We live in kind of a hipster neighborhood. It's like the Brooklyn of Boston. And hipsters love cats. Like to an uncomfortable extent, 
as pets, as accessories, <laughs> as things that are on their t-shirts, um, 60% of their Instagram photos, things like that. And so all I could picture was like people who are obsessed with cats who put out fires. So like what I would imagine the Jamaica Plain Fire Department to be. The hipster fire department. Hipster fire department. Like in full fire regalia, but like cut off shorts and like handlebar mustaches. Um, <laughs> Funny enough, yeah. the, the fire department that you're talking about actually does have mustaches on the... It does. On the... <laughs> <laughs> so they, put them, doors. they put them on the garage doors for like for Movember a couple of years ago. That's what those are there. For. Yeah. Okay. And then they just never took them down. They've been up for like two years now. <laughs> um, again, live in a hipster town. Uh, so you were more familiar with the, uh, the Let's Dance, the remake first. The one from the Let's Dance album. Yeah. Which, uh, which is a song. <laughs> yeah. It's a song. It, it, it doesn't really capture... It's, it's so ridiculous, the whole, like, putting out fire with gasoline line, which is great. Yeah. Um, but, but it feels like kind of a, a pop music trope in and of itself. Yeah. The problem I have with, uh, with the Let's Dance version is that it's just so, so kind of generic. It is. It's generic 80s pop rock. Yeah. But I think that's why I like it a little bit better than the other one. Which, I mean, you could say of all of Let's Dance, that's kind of the point of Let's Dance, is to sort of break away from doing anything, anything weird or unique, any kind of signature sound. It was all yeah. meant to be like a really uh, shiny, glossy 80s uh, pop record. But oddly enough, like Cat People is one of the ones that more fits that mold. Like the popular songs that are on that, are very distinctly, I mean, they're glossy and poppy, but they're very distinctly Bowie. Um, yeah. Like, Modern Love is a big, wonderful song. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, you don't, I mean, you can get excited about hearing that song, whereas Cat People, you just kind of feel like you know, some generic 80s song is washing over you. Yeah, there was an interview in uh, The Face, 1983. Uh, the interviewer was David Thomas, and he was telling, he was telling Bowie about, the, uh, about his first time hearing Cat People and he was familiar with the film version first. So he, he hears the song and he says at, at first he felt like it, uh, like David Bowie had messed up the song, just taking, making it sound different. It, it just, it was a great song and he just sort of blew it with this remake. And then of course, because he's sort of fanboying as he's interviewing David Bowie, he says, and, and then uh, after a few listens, I, I came, came to, to realize that, see it for what it is, it's, it's quite a nice song. But Bowie admits, he says, yeah, I took all the instruments away. They're not quite so integrally important to the music on this album. And then, yeah, he also says, the point is just to get the chords right. And that's all. So uh, as far as like any kind of weird recording techniques, studio techniques, um, they're sort of out the window. It's, it's just a straight capture the performance, make it shine and put it out. Yeah. Make a pretty pop product and put it out. Which I feel like is kind of the more natural environment for this song. Like the dark and foreboding version, like it's, a, it's good, but it's such a ridiculous song. Like I feel like it just needs to be peppy and bouncy. And It does kind of come out of nowhere. It starts out so moody and dark with just the, the drum sounds and the droning synth. And then it just sort of uh, literally roars into um, this loud, yeah. vibrant, song. I'm going to do a bit of a callback here to something from earlier in the week. It kind of follows a similar, like the, the film version 
follows a very similar trajectory as Candidate, hmm. where it starts off kind of dark and, and ominous and just kind of builds and builds and builds and then kind of crescendos into this song that you can kind of at least half dance to by the end. Except that, uh, and you're talking about the film version of, of Capu. Yeah. So the crescendo happens much more, it, it happens over the whole song for Candidate. And then uh, for this one, it's, it, it happens over the first couple of verses. And then with the, the first chorus, it just sort of stays uh, there, explodes. Yeah. yeah and and it's, it maintains that energy for the rest of the song. Uh, yeah, that's, I agree. But like, yeah. yeah, they take a very similar course. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just feel like it's more like the like this song was made to be kind of just 80s pop, basically. Just silly dumb 80s pop. Um, as far as the film version, Giorgio Moroder was uh, asked by Paul Schrader to make it sound dark. And so he describes using lots of uh, low notes and synthesizers and he uses some tracks playing in reverse. Another callback to, or no, that's not right. No, there were some, I think there were some reverse sounds in, um, in Sweet Thing, but probably not in Candidate. Um, anyway. So it's less of a callback and more of a, uh, what more of a foreshadow. That? Foreshadowing, yeah. Foreshortening. Um, yeah, I know. So he, he, he made it lots of synthesizers, lots of low notes, um, all these kinds of sound effects to make it sound sort of dark and foreboding. Um, anything else about cat people putting out fire? First of all, so it was because it was on Let's Dance, it, it was produced by, by Niall Rogers. This is what, his first or second time working with Niall Rogers? Second, or first time. First time. First time working with Niall Rogers. So he was working on it, and also a, uh, a young and up and coming guitar player by the name of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mr. Ray Vaughan played on this song. I've, I've, Stevie Ray Vaughan is kind of like the doors for me, and that, like, I, I, I go back and forth on my feelings. Like I had a phase when I was in high school where I was just like, oh my God, Stevie Ray Vaughan's so amazing. Cause he's an incredible guitar player, but like he's not really the most interesting musician. Hmm. It gets pretty straightforward blues. It starts to get a little repetitive after a while, but he's an incredible musician. Just doesn't really create the most interesting music to me. As far as his albums go? Yeah. Yeah. If you watch live videos of him, he's incredible to watch. Or, or watching any performance. Any yeah. performance. Yeah. But the songs themselves are pretty boring blues songs. Yeah, he's got a very blues style. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm, maybe It might be because I'm not a guitarist and I can't appreciate a good guitar solo, but I always get kind of cold on, uh, on guitar solos, especially when they're like virtuosic like this. I can tell that they're technically well executed, but I do not like the sound of them. <laughs> That's why I don't, I don't listen to prog rock and I don't listen to a whole lot of metal. Yeah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't click. It doesn't connect for me. I, I can tell that this is a well-executed, you know, virtuosic performance. And I can, I can tell, I can sense some of the sort of bluesy bends to it. But at the end of this uh, solo, where he goes like running up the neck of the, yeah. the, the guitar, and just gets higher and higher and squealier and squealier, that just, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's... It's grating to me. It's really hard to listen to, and I just expect and hope for that uh, thing from the Weird Al video to happen <laughs> from Eat It, where the guy's on the guitar on the boxes in the alley. He's playing the guitar solo like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, and it he just does the thing, goes up and up and up, and then boom, it just explodes. I keep I expect that to happen every time I listen to this song. 
expecting Stevie Ray Vaughan to just explode in a, in a Muppety kind of <laughs> ball of smoke. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I will say the, uh, that I do like Stevie Ray Vaughan's solo more than the guitar solo in the film version because it's pretty, pretty basic. It's really fuzzed up. I like the, I like the sound effect, the, the effects pedals that are put on the, the film version more because it's more like fuzzy and yeah. really distorted. But as, as much as I'm not good at remembering guitar solos, Vaughn's uh, guitar solo is more memorable. Yeah. I, can, I can play it back in my head more than I can do the film version. Anyway, we were moving on. Yeah. Uh, covers. There's so many more covers than I was expecting there to be. Yeah. Yeah, this is not exactly the... This is not quite a deep cut because it was a cover, or because it was a single, but like, unless you're really into Bowie, you probably don't remember Cat People. But there was a lot of, lot of covers. Um, the ones that I was able to find most readily on the internet... Tina Turner used to bust it out live. Um, hers was based more, actually most of the covers I heard were more based off of the, uh, the film version where it starts off a little slower. Mm -hmm. um, so she used to cover it live. Uh, my favorite one that I found was uh, Danzig. That was awesome. Um, I, I do, I like Danzig. So I went into it kind of feeling it already. It, it, it had the benefit of the doubt right out of the gate and I, and I enjoyed it. Um, the other one I found was from the Electric Six, which is a band from Detroit. Um, they kind of had their did moment they do that? and made aughts. They did that song, uh, Gay Bar, right? Yes. Okay. Yep, that was them. Uh, and then one I couldn't find on the internet, and I, God, I want to hear it because I bet it's so interesting. Um, Shooter Jennings, who is Waylon Jennings' son, uh, teamed up with Marilyn Manson to do a cover. Yes. Um, did you find it? Have you heard it? I did, yes. I found it. Where did you find it? Um, I'll tell you after we get off mic. Um, <laughs> but right, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So Shooter Jennings did this album just recently called Countach for Giorgio. It's a tribute to Giorgio Moroder. He covers a bunch of Giorgio songs. And uh, he got Marilyn Manson to, to sing this one. He approached Marilyn about it and... He said he uses, he said, yeah, of course, I'll do this song. I use this song every night when I am warming up. This is my warm up song. And then it's a perfect natural fit because Marilyn Manson's got that basso profundo. Yeah. Which I think he cribbed from Bowie. Oh, his whole career is cribbed from Bowie. Yeah. Because um, like when he got into his like mid 90s um, glam phase, like that was total Bowie too. Like he's yeah, the whole mechanical animals thing, yeah. the androgynous thing, and uh, and then his idol worship of of John Lennon even comes from his idol worship of David Bowie. I feel, I feel. This is this is my speculation. And uh, so Jennings goes over to Marilyn Manson's house with his recording gear, and they record it in his living room. So it's got this sort of like. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard a recording that was made in someone's living room, but it's got this sort of echoey ambience yeah. to it. Um, yeah, like three quarters of the Nirvana box set that came out a few years ago is just like him playing in his living room. Uh, kind of peeling back the curtain on the yeah. podcast here. Just <laughs> this is this is all, this is what my living room sounds like. Yeah, it's and it's a it's a good version, and it's got it. He uh, dresses it up with some fiddle. Uh, it's it's more sort of hard alternative rock but dressed up with some fiddle. I don't know what, I'm not really familiar with Shooter Jennings. I assume being Waylon's son, he's sort of more country oriented. Yeah, it's like oriented. outlaw country rock. Yeah, it's, it's a good version. Check it out. The one I found comes from, and we mentioned this on our episode on uh, Be My Wife. 
we brought up uh, Max Lorenz's Bowie tribute album called Kiss Me in the Rain, where he, he, does, he covers a whole bunch of David Bowie songs, and he does it in sort of an acoustic, almost polka fashion on some of them. Um, but at the end of Station to Station, which is a very polka kind of version of Station to Station, there's this just whirling uh, collection of, of lyrical snippets from all these different songs. Because this, so he, he starts off the album with the first half of Station to Station, and then he ends his album with the second half of Station to Station, which is the more manic, kind of uh, excited, coke-fueled version of it, where he's on the train and he's just like, yeah, that's the part that just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so at the end of this, he's got all these different snippets of Bowie songs, just a line here, a line there, just coming out of each speaker. And it's just like overlaying one on top of the other, and it's just at one after the other. Um, and one of them is, see these eyes so blue. And that is, uh, that is the line from <laughs> Cat People that is in Max Lorenz's cover of Station at Station. Yeah, I think there are like 40-something songs referenced in that, which uh, is cool. You can find it on Spotify. Ah, okay. Uh, it's called Kiss You in the Rain, Max Lorenz Sings David Bowie. It's from 2011. And it's good. And so there's that, but then there's also another interesting note concerning Max Lorenz, there's like the 40 songs or whatever that he sort of quotes in, um, in Station to Station. There's another song that he did called 185 Bowie Songs in which uh, he does much the same thing. He quotes Bowie songs and sort of lays them out one after the other all on top of each other, a line here and a line there. And I haven't counted them, but I'm assuming that there's about 185 Bowie songs in there. Um, you can also find that on Spotify. Yeah. It is an 18-minute song where he quotes all of these Bowie songs. And I'll leave it to the listener to uh, sort of go through and see if you can find, uh, see if you can name that, name that tune. Name that in tune. three, four lyrics at most. Uh, it's a fun game. Max Lorenz, 185 Bowie songs. Um, anything else about cat people? Um, I don't think so. I think we can... Uh... I guess we'll just rate it. Um, I, I'm gonna give this song two and a half mustachioed firemen. Um, mustachioed firecats? Firecats, mustachioed firecats. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty unspectacular 80s pop song. It, it made more sense after watching the movie. Um, as much sense as either of those things can make. Um, yeah, I'm there with you. It's gotta be somewhere in the middle there. It's... Uh, I'd probably rate the uh, the film version higher, and I've never really liked, never really loved this song. Like I, I've gotten into it. Like it's 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 the kind of song you can get into the groove of, especially the Let's Dance version. It's designed that way. But I do like the film version better. It's just executed better. It's, it seems more carefully put together. It, he's more patient with it. Um, yeah, I'll go with two and a half too. Yeah, it'd be two if it was just the Let's Dance version, but um, yeah, two and a half. Two and a half mustachioed cat firefighters, fire cats. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's it. That's it for cat people. Yeah. So this I know we a... normally try to do something clever to segue. Oh, I had something clever. You do have something clever. Oh. What were you going to do? I was just going to fanboy out because next time is a very special one, but uh, I want to hear what you got. No, no. So, um, so this was a song about cats that change into people or people that change into cats, whichever way it is. So 
Uh, tune in next time when we'll be talking about that very transitional. Wait, let me start over. Can I start over? Yeah. Can I take Can I take two on a podcast? Um, that, if you're the one that does the editing, you can take as many as you want. That's why. <laughs> that's why we're not in radio. Um, this song comes from the movie about people who change into cats. Hmm. Next week, we'll be back with a song about changing, not into cats, but changing in general. Oh. It's, it's uh, changing your clothes, changing uh, jobs, whatever. It is, a, it is a little ditty that I like to call Changes. Oh, we're digging into the deep cuts next week. Yeah, you might not have heard of it, but uh, yeah, that's what's so exciting about this show is we just like really dig deep and pull out these really obscure yeah. ones. You guys, you're going to dig this song. You're yeah. going to be like, where has this song been all my life? If only for the last 40 years this song had been on classic rock radio, I would have been so much happier. Yeah. So uh, Monday uh, changes. Until then, over the weekend, check us out on Twitter, on Facebook, from A to Ziggy, from A to Ziggy.com. Tell us what you thought of uh, Cat People, um, the movie, the film, the remake. What, you know what's odd is this is a remake of a song that's the theme song to a movie that's a remake of a movie. You know, I can't believe it didn't occur to me this entire time. But yeah, it's a lot of layers. Catception. It is Catception. Um, also weird that this is the second, I guess, third episode, technically second in a row. That's like two songs for the price of one. Yeah. Value added. That's, that's, our, that's our motto here yes. from me to Ziggy. We want you to get your, all of your money's worth um, of this free podcast. What else? Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. You can also find us on Stitcher. And uh, until Monday, I am... Thomas. And I am Travis. And we're putting out fire with gasoline. Yeah!